The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, Subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right. (laughs) I want everyone to buckle up, strap in. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. As you know, this is not a family show. And today, it's safe to say that we have our, up until now, the most controversial interesting freewheeling amazing (laughs) caleb is looking all over who me me Uh, independent thinking contrarian guest he he will shock you and inform you i am so so pleased to be introducing my colleague and friend caleb jones caleb where are you joining us from today I live in Dubai. Uh, so I'm in Dubai right now in my home office. I'm an American by birth, but I have residency of five different countries. And I live in Dubai because I don't like paying 50% of my income in taxes. Couldn't agree more. So let me read a little bit of your biography, folks. I mean it. Get ready. Because uh, this is not. So I'm just going to read a little from your biography because I have to. That's the format. I don't have to do shit. Okay, everyone. Jones is an author, speaker, entrepreneur, world traveler. You own three companies, has worked with hundreds of organizations, large and small. You've written eight books, which have sold hundreds of thousands of copies, and has his blogs on business and lifestyle design have over 1.2 million readers a year. He lives in Dubai, but has flags all over the world. So, Caleb, I know we have, excuse me a minute, I know um, we have some things in common. We both got started in the pickup and the seduction world. So yep. I want to talk about first your a little bit about your introduction to that world, how you what motivated you to go there, and then I really want to talk about making the transition to your current business and what your current business is about. Uh, uh, you talk about beta males and alpha male 2.0. What is alpha male 2.0, and how did you come up with it? Uh, let's see. What is alpha male 2.0? So alpha male 2.0 is the equivalent of what I call the alpha male 1.0, which is the standard alpha male that most of us envision. So the tough guy who is confident, he's successful, at least one area of life, maybe successful with women or maybe successful in business, but he's outcome independent, excuse me, outcome dependent. He cares too much about the outcome. So he gets upset when people don't follow his instructions when people don't behave the way he wants them to behave, when people don't speak the way he wants them to speak. And so even though he's an alpha male, 
And we know a lot, I know a lot of guys like that, buddies are like this. They're alpha males, they're confident, successful men, but they are regularly unhappy because of conflict in their lives or problems in their lives, all stemming from people not doing what they're told and not doing what they're supposed to do. So the alpha male 2.0 removes that one component. The alpha male 2.0 is just like the alpha male 1.0, except he doesn't care. Now, so when you say he doesn't care, yeah, that doesn't mean they're not interested in the outcome. It just means what? Like if you're an alpha male 2.0 and you, and I know you do millions of dollars of business and you've got a million, $2 million writing on a business venture. If that doesn't work, you're not going to be neutral to the whole thing. It's going to upset you, won't it? Right. So the way I define outcome independence is you do not care about the outcome of any one given scenario. So do I care about the big picture? My big, big long-term goals? Yes. I care about those a lot. But if I do a sales call, if I'm talking to a possible prospect or client, do I care at all if I close that business? I do not. If I go on a first date with a woman, do I care at all if I, that, first, that individual first date is successful? No, there's lots of other women in the world. So over any individual scenario, I don't care. I will do whatever I need to do to optimize my odds, and then I'm just going to let it ride. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, I don't care. So therefore, I don't get upset when things don't work out. I just look at the big picture. So- this show is geared for entrepreneurs and salespeople. I could see how this would really help as a salesperson. Can you make that connection for someone yeah. who's in sales? Right. How, how, how do they get to that? It's one thing to say it. Right. It's another thing to have some techniques to get to being outcome independent because mm -hmm. so much of sales talk is pump yourself up, visualize yeah. your success, use vision boards and all that well, it's not necessarily bullshit. So how do, you get there? Yeah. how do you make that transition from being really pumped up and, and then being outcome independent? How do you do it? What's the technique? So you don't need any one client or any one customer to hit your financial objectives. That's a mathematical reality. And you just repeat that over and over again. I want sales. I want to be successful. I want clients. I want customers. I want results. But I don't need anyone to do it. So, there's, so, it, so I could have many. So that's the first thing. You remind yourself, and I used to do this. Now it's automatic. I don't need any one customer, any one client, any one company to meet my financial objectives. I need a portfolio of successes. Therefore, the outcome of every, every individual call is not relevant. That's the, first, that's the first mindset. Second mindset is, Every no, and this is old school sales training, but it's right. Every no brings you closer to a yes. So in say, I used to I used to be involved in sales training. I've never done sales training, but I used to be in sales training. They would teach you, and they're right. The yeses are good. The nos are good. The maybes will kill you. So yes is good. No is good because now I'm closer to a yes, and you're not wasting my time. Maybe means I've got to get you to a yes or no as soon as I can within reason. So every time I get a no, that's also okay. So now I really don't care. And then the third thing is if you're just a very uptight person, <laughs> you're just upset where you, you do a single call and they say no, and you're like, ah, you ask yourself why. Why do I care so much about the outcome of every individual call? Why do I care when I know these statistical realities? And then you listen to your brain and your brain will say, because they need to buy my bra. Why? And you keep asking why, why? You keep drilling down until you realize, I guess I don't care. I guess I'm just being uptight. So, so it's a combination of those three things. Right. So I want to talk about, and here we go. Let's talk about your first business in order to talk about where you're at now, which I think is 
um, amazing and really controversial. I have some of your statements here. Screw it. I'm just going to go straight to them if I could. Sure. All right. Um, let's see. I've had, I've had several companies, and I have okay. three right now, but, but I'm an old man. I will be much, you're talking about living in multiple countries. I will be okay. much better poised to take advantage of these businesses and investing opportunities if I live over there, you're talking about Asia, instead of sitting here in the collapsing USA, listening yeah. to the insane left and the irrational right scream at each other about things like NFL players kneeling and transgender bathrooms. Yes. <laughs> I prefer to be, you don't pull your punches. I prefer no. to be right in the inside of the action or very close to it. Call me crazy but I prefer to be around organized and super motivated Asians. I don't know if you still think that about Asians than a bunch of hypersensitive white socialists. And I include modern day right-wingers when I say that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So you don't pull your punches. Let's talk about this idea of the USA collapsing. I've seen this for a long time as we degenerate into a country where it's when I was young, I'm going to be 65. If you can F and believe that we had a society based on merit, you got accolades and you got rewarded according to merit, according to what you created, what you achieved, what you were able to create a value for yourself and the people around you. It was based on who you were, not group or identity politics. I don't recognize this country compared to the way it was when I grew up in the 60s. There's been some changes. So what do you mean by the, how did you first recognize there was a collapsing USA? And what do you mean by collapsing? Financially, do you think the end is near? What is your whole view on this? So uh, those are two pieces. So I'll answer this, the second piece first. So um, the United States has gotten objectively and empirically worse in just about every economic measurement outside of technological growth and outside of crime rates improving. So technological growth has certainly made our lives better and that's and that'll continue. Even no matter what happens, technological growth will continue and that'll improve our lives at least to some degree. And crime is much better. So in the 70s, crime was pretty bad. I remember going to, you know, in New York in the early mid 80s, it was pretty bad. So crime has improved, but by just about every other economic measure, real wages, bloated stock market, stupid wars, government spending, single motherhood, you name the stat, it's gotten worse every 10 years I've been alive and you've been alive. I'm, so I'm 15 years younger than you and I don't recognize the country either. That's how bad it is. So um, in terms of when I realized it, um, it was things that I observed and then I started doing the research. It was around 2002, 2003. And um, right after George Bush's election and the Iraq war, the beginning of the Iraq war. And let's see if I can remember. So on the, it was on the left and the right. So on the left, what I noticed was, and I started talking to people about this, in white, let's call them white, quote unquote, white suburban neighborhoods, including upper class neighborhoods, the high schools were building daycare centers onto the high schools to take care of the babies that the teenage girls in high school were having. Yes. Right. That started around 2003. But whoa, okay, this is happening. It's never going to go back. Because once you start an entitlement system like that, it never goes the other way. So I said, okay, we have that. 
Then on the right, um, George W. Bush, who was the compassionate conservative who was going to save us from Bill Clinton and make government small, and all the conservatives <laughs> were very excited. Does anyone believe that shit? The government's going to get right. smaller? <laughs> well, they did in the 90s. They kind of did in the 90s before all this data. I mean, even then we could talk about how wrong they were. But anyway, so I believe it was 2000, and I could my numbers could be slightly off. The 2003 George W. Bush budget was an 85% increase in federal spending across the board for that one year. And um, no, that's actually not right. It was several trillion dollars of increase in spending and 85% of the increase had nothing to do with the war on terror, or the war in Iraq. It was just socialism and pork. And this was the conservative. And then the, re the response from the right-wingers were, yay, what a great president. And I said, and I saw this at the same time. I went, okay, Something's changed here. I'm, and that's why I started doing the research in terms of where things were going economically in the United States. I remember telling my wife at the time, 23 years ago, whatever, 20 years ago, I said, in about 20 years from now, this is not going to be a great place to live. And so we should start thinking about moving out of the country. I literally said that 20 years ago. And I moved out of the country in 2000, about two years, uh, February of 2021. Right. So I just... <laughs> Some of what you say is so outrageous and just absolutely like love this. Talk about if you could, in terms of business, because so many people that tune into the show own their own businesses or aspire to, or they own multiple businesses. So one of the things you say that I love is to have a location independent business. How do you, first of all, how do you do that if you're not operating online? It's easy to it, like I could if I could if I wanted to pick up my computer and do it all online and then sure. a client wants to fly in and pay me a hundred thousand dollars for a week they fly into me if they want to pay me a quarter million or three hundred fifty thousand dollars I'll fly to them the Emirates right. Airlines where they have suites and you yeah I've the been plane. in them great uh -huh. yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. So how does that apply to someone who, well, you would say, let me back up and then I'll go to that question. Anyone who has a traditional job, who's got a mountain of debt and has a 401k and works nine to five is fucked, would you, no matter where they live. Correct. I've talked about this in detail. Yes, that's, that's the, that is the guy who, is, who will be fucked first by what is coming and what is to a large we already hear. The typical guy with a nine to five corporate job all of his taxes, excuse me, all of his investments, if you have any, are American stocks in her 401k, which is a government-controlled entity, and everything is relied upon the United States, the United States dollar. Yeah, he's screwed. That guy's in very big trouble. He already is in trouble. He's already feeling it now. But yes, he's fucked. Correct. I saw a statistic that something like 50% of Americans couldn't get their hands on $1,000 for an emergency. I'll give you a, a one more, one better. So 71% uh, of Americans that make over $100,000 a year couldn't get their hands on $100 cash. Seriously? Yes. I just quoted that statistic about, that's pre-COVID. That's like 2019. That's, it's only gotten worse that, since then. That's absolutely yeah. That's absolutely insanity. So let's talk about someone getting a location independent business. I have a good friend who's also a business partner who's a huge fan of yours. I wouldn't say he worships the ground that you walk on, but that's his whole thing is becoming location independent, particularly because his son will soon in about five years be draft age. And he oh. foresees as I do, 
endless wars to the point yes. where they're going to have to start a draft. Yes. So how would someone who can who can and does have the ability to have a location independent business, what are the first things you recommend that they do? Step zero. So step one is to identify a very narrow niche. So you can't say I'm in healthcare. That's not a niche. That's an industry. So instead of saying I'm in healthcare, you instead say, okay, I'm going to work with um, guys who assemble microscopes for biotech firms. That's a niche. And there's lots of ways you can research this. So you identify a narrow niche or a few of them. Then step two is you identify a strong problem, which usually is the case, a strong problem or a strong, in less cases, a strong need that they have. So you have two or three niches. What is the biggest problem of that niche? And you start with your own experience. You go back and look at all the jobs you've had, the education you've had, your family, your friends, all the niches you've been exposed. You start there because you probably already know two or three niches and you may even know two or three of their problems. And then the third step is how do you help solve or alleviate that problem? And to be, to be clear, and this is a problem a lot of us, a lot of our customers run into is they assign a problem that they think the niche has. So all the, my favorite example, I've had at least two guys come to me with this idea in my email. Caleb, I have a, a good idea for a niche. I'm a fitness expert, which is not a niche. That's an industry, very oversaturated too. And I want to teach gamers how to lose weight. Do gamers give a shit about how much they weigh? No. no. Right. So that is someone who's- They might care story. about how to get laid, no matter how fat, disgusting, and without social- There we go. There we go. <laughs> There we go. That's much better. Exactly. So he's projecting his desire, his problem upon the niche. You can't do that. You look at the niche and have them tell you what the problem is. And then you'd work to solve that either through a video course, coaching, consulting, a membership, some kind of service. Usually those use the five best ebook. If you want, if you like to go write. through those five again, please. Yeah. So the, the five best ones you get from money from zero to the money quickly as possible is coaching, which means one-on-one -on -one. consulting, which means one on company a service, either a business service or a personal service, a course, some sort of course, online course, video course that, that may include coaching or not, and some sort of membership or recurring service, some sort of membership program, one of those five. So how can you solve that problem of that niche or help alleviate that problem of the niche through one of those five modalities? Because one of those five will turn you on. Everyone's turned on by one of those five. Well, I, I would do consulting. I want to do a course. I would do, so you just pick one. That's, that's it in a very brief nutshell. That's how you get started. If you're starting from zero. Okay. I think there's one that you may have left out where that mm -hmm. has legs, which is not one-to-one, -one, but one-to-a-group because that's group. scalable and that's where there's a tremendous amount of Correct. money. Otherwise, Correct. So that would fall in the category of coaching or, or courses, group coaching. I do a lot of that. Correct. Absolutely right. right. Way right. more scalable. Correct. Absolutely. Right. And I also think nowadays that model, just selling courses without some kind of support is going. You're away. correct. Matter of fact, you and I have talked about this. That's what I discovered, the same exact things. You can sell video courses and nothing else, but it's harder. So what we do now is whenever we sell courses, we bundle them with some sort of group coaching component at a minimum because people want that one-on-one -on -one help. That's very, very big these days. So you're right. And I think that's going to increase. That's just going to increase over time. That's why about two years ago, I switched from just video courses to coaching programs where we work with people for like three months, months at a time or a year at a time. We actually work with them. And it, instead of just giving a bunch of videos, we still have the video courses too. But yes, you're right about that. Oh, I would rather hear 
let me teach you something, then you're right. But I, I'll, I'll take that. Paul, you're completely wrong. Let me educate you. In this case. Okay. No, I love that. That's what <laughs> some, I want to hear that, that, and oh my God, you're kidding about that. <laughs> let's, let's get back to pickup. Cause I want to jump all over. You started your career with pickup and seduction and you talk about a lot. You lean on this idea of being an alpha male. What the hell do you mean? But uh, okay, I think you answered this. But when it comes to dating, mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean by alpha male? Uh, so a few traits. So confident, and confidence can be faked if you're starting from brand new, because I did. So when I got started, I was a beta male, divorced beta male dad, his mid thirties. 10 years out of practice from a 10-year monogamous marriage. I didn't cheat. I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to kind of fake confidence at least for a while because I was going on some dates with some really attractive women. I couldn't believe how hot they were. I'm like, oh my God. So I had to like calm myself down. Some of your stuff. You know, I had to remember, calm myself down, control my breathing, all that good stuff. Uh, so confidence. And then if, if it's 2.0, outcome independence. Because in my view, outcome independence, not caring when you're on a date with a woman or you're meeting a woman in some sort of social scenario. When she can tell you're nice and polite, but you don't care what, she, what, you th what you think of her, and she can see that, it is the most, in my opinion, I got a lot of data to back this up, it is the most attractive component, quality, a man, a not, most attractive non-physical component a man can have to a woman. And I the prettier you, she is, the more likely she is to have I that. Think, I think what you meant to say is she can tell you don't care about Thank the you. outcome with her. Next, she can tell that you don't care about what she thinks of you. This right. sounds exactly like a, a sale where- Yes, it's the exact same, same I've, thing. I've said this over and over when I get flack, when I tell people uh, I used to be a dating and seduction coach, I say, what the fuck do you think a sale is? A sale is the biggest kind of dating you could ever do. You've my, sales, my sales results went up after I got involved in PUA and I got good with dating way year, many years ago. So it's absolutely a parallel skill set. It's almost in some respects, the, the mindset's almost identical. The techniques are a little different. Even the technical techniques are the same, but the mindset's identical. So correct. Oh yeah. And Not again, giving a shit. You're nice and polite. Now you can overdo it. Cause I did this way back when I was experimenting and trying to figure out how this all worked. I was too uh, independent and I was an asshole. And I was mean. I was rude. So you have to, I had to throw ad in there. You're nice and polite. And she can tell you don't give a shit. How do you it's define? Ordinarily attractive. How do you define? Most people would say nice. Nice is the biggest turnoff you could ever imagine. How do you define Correct. nice? Both in terms of sales and in terms mm -hmm. of seduction. Nice, but you don't care. But how you're do you define leaning. nice? How do you define? Well, I can just define what it isn't. So you're not leaning forward and nodding everything she says. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You're so pretty. Oh, yeah. That means you care. So instead, a first date example. So there's the sales example. I'll, I'll use both. So on a first date example, you're leaning back. You're looking very relaxed. You're looking around. You're talking. You're acknowledging her. You're using good eye contact. You're acknowledging. But you're not going, oh, yes, you're right. You're so smart. You're so pretty. Boy, you know, do you have a, you don't have a boyfriend, right? I mean, if we, if you and I got married, this is all stuff men do on the first dates. You don't do any of that <laughs> stuff because you're, because you don't care, but you are nice. You're not like, yeah, whatever. And you turn around and you flirt with the waitress. That would be not nice. So in a sales scenario, it's very similar. You're, if a lot of it's on the phone or over Zoom, 
your body language suggests that you're relaxed and you don't really care, but you are polite and you're nice and you're listening and you're responding and you're a good listener, all those things. Whereas if you're a dick, you're not nice, you're not responding, you're not listening, you're rude, that doesn't work. Or, or it, it doesn't work as well. <laughs> rude guys can't get laid too. I call but it, it doesn't work as well. I call it steamroller sales uh, or a slick, a slick script spitting Rick. Even though I teach scripting, <laughs> that, yeah. that's all they do. I remember going in to buy a new car and yeah. the salesperson aggressively approaches me as soon as I walk onto the lot. And he says, are you ready to buy a car today? Jesus, I said, yeah. not, I said, not from you. And I got not my car you. and drove off. <laughs> right. That was the standard, you know, and that's a holdover from like the fifties, sixties. That was the norm of sales back then, but we've also far past that. That was out of date 25 years ago. And, and a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. You're right. On the other side of the cover, I've uh, time and again, who, when I train people in sales and, and my, my, niches i only train people already really successful if you're mm -hmm. if you're not doing well good luck on you but you've got to be pretty high six figures and approaching seven or you're at seven but you're stuck at your current level of success yeah, people who means. just are never satisfied they always want to crush it and their right. conventional sales training is not getting them there it's not moving the needle or barely doing so right so i i've found that it's it's very much the same thing that this whole being uh, a pushover one of the biggest things i get when i'm training their teams is the prospect says i need time to think it over and the traditional things are well is there anything i can do to help you today to help you make the decision today and eh, or uh, and the person says uh why don't you call me in two weeks and of course they can never get through yeah Never, never. So in between being pushy and being a pushover, there's a pattern interrupt. Uh, I teach people to say, well, can I ask you a question? Have you ever taken a long time to think something over and it still turned out to be a horrible decision? Which is a universal, everyone a has Total pattern interrupt because the answer is always yes. Yes. Yeah. And now they can't stand on that ground. That ground has been taken out from underneath mm -hmm. them. So let me let me circle back now to to in uh, a business has multiple streams of income, mm -hmm. and you all. So here's what you do, you define as success, and stop me if I'm leaving something out or I'm in, incorrectly stating it. Multiple streams of income, independent uh, location, independence, and non-monogamy. <laughs> so, yes. So let's look at that. First of all, um, multiple streams of income. This would apply to people. You already went through that. There's five different things that people can do. For example, yeah. Outcome, uh, um, location independence. So this is something that can get tricky because how do you know which countries to relocate to? If let's say I came to you and I said, I have $5 million in liquid assets. I can do business anywhere. What countries would you recommend I relocate to? My but, first question would be, what is your priority? Is your priority tax savings? Is your priority cheap lifestyle? Is your priority women are finding a wife? Is your priority weather? Because every guy, every woman has a different set of priorities. So you know, I, people ask that all the time. What's the best country? I don't know. What are your priorities? So that'd be the question I would ask you. Right. So give me, well, a, give me a hypothetical answer. What's your priority in terms of your life or your money uh, or whatever? 
absolutely, I don't want to be paying 50% of my income to support endless war, endless yep. war, yep. endless war, Agreed. trillions of dollars for war, and, and then rewarding people who who are I don't want to get into my politics. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. I can see the fire in your eyes. Like, oh my god, endless not- <laughs> endless wars, and there's always another enemy. So that um, uh, taxation. So taxes. That's my big thing. Yes, taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, women. I'm just gonna say it because okay. American women stay away <laughs> from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily non-monogamy because at my age, I don't have the energy. For, I, I'm in you good, and I've talked about this. Yes. Uh, I I'm in good condition. I have a lot of energy. I have naturopathic doctors who take care of me and mm-hmm. keep me ticking. I would be underground where not. You could, you could have a primary woman and then a secondary woman, not 14 women. You could have two if you wanted it bad enough. So I, I, because guys say, well, I don't want, well, look, you don't need to date 14 women. No one's saying you got to do that, but you could have a main woman, a wife or a girlfriend or whatever you want to call it. I'm going to get such hate email from this. I love it. (laughs) Well, it's, but again, this is all voluntary to the women. Everything I teach is completely above board. There's no lying. There's no cheating. If they don't like it, they say, no, thank you. And they leave. The only women I've dated, I've I've been non-monogamous for going on 17 years now. Every woman knows exactly what I'm doing. And if they don't like it, they can leave at any time with no bullshit from me. Okay, I completely understand. And they go, and it's fine. So there's no coercion. There's no deception. There's no drama. Okay. Third thing would be uh, the physical beauty of the country. I don't want to live in an urban. Right now, I live in San Diego. There are parts of San Diego that are absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. I live in a neighborhood that used to be, when I moved in here like 10 years ago, gorgeous but it's so overbuilt they've overbuilt it and overbuilt it and and it's so noisy now i literally have to wear the things that cargo wear it sometimes so i would like it to be close to nature and Mm -hmm. out of uh out uh, out of crowding so -hmm. that's the third one number four it's got to be a country that will let me in. I'm not religious, but I happen to be of Jewish heritage. Literally, I could go to Israel. I wouldn't go to Israel. I lo- God bless the Israeli people, but that's a country that could be nuked at any time. So I wouldn't go there. I could go by the law of return if I wanted. Right, to. right. They would give so, you a passport too. Right? Yeah, I'd get a passport. I don't know, yeah. but Israel is not a place I'd want to go. They have reciprocal treaties with the United States. I I, no, I, I understand. Was, so where do you re- where would you recommend I go based on those? So those are good parameters. So a few places. Um, first, your priority is taxes, and that was my priority. I mean, I moved out of the United States for many reasons, but my number one thing was priorities. My priority, excuse me, was taxes. Um, you could move to a zero tax country like Dubai. However, you said you didn't want built up stuff and there's lots of construction going on in Dubai because it's exploding. So you probably wouldn't like Dubai, although that is an option. Women too. And you're at the beach. So those are all good, minus the minus the construction in the urban areas. And the so heat. the next aspect and the heat. Doesn't it get to be like 110 in the shade? Right. So here's how I handle Dubai. I'm location dependent. I can go anywhere I want, whenever I want, be there for as long as I want. My income keeps coming in. So Yes. Starting in May, June, July, August, it's awful here. So I'm not, guess what? I don't be here. I go to my second home, which is Paraguay, which is where they have their winter. Paraguay. Paraguay. Yeah. So they have their winter down there, which is perfect. It's like 79 is sunny. It's beautiful. Also uh, June, July, August. So I'm actually leaving. I'll be in Armenia for about a week. 
Then I'll be in the United States for about two or three weeks, my wife, and then Paraguay for a month. And then Mexico for another month. So all these, and it's Guadalajara where the weather is good during these summer months. So that's how I handle the heat. But you're right. If you don't want to move around that much, then Dubai is probably not a good choice. So the second option is you want to find a territory, there's many of them, a territorial tax country, which means that you can move there. You can make all the money you want. They don't tax any of your money unless you make it from inside the country. So if you have location-dependent income, like I talk about, Paraguay is one of them. Malaysia is another one. Paraguay, great. It's beautiful. Women are cute. You go to I Paraguay, par- Paraguay. I had a girlfriend from Paraguay who was. Oh, so then you know. Oh, oh my God. Women in Paraguay. I, oh, I yes. don't want to get Paraguay's... into it because then I really will lose. Uh, audience, but... <laughs> you will lose viewers. Got it. Yes. No. So then you know. You don't need me to explain it. Oh, they're amazing. They're, they're so nice. They're so sweet down there. They're great. Um, so Paraguay is an example. You can move to Paraguay. You could make $10 million a year as long as it doesn't come from Paraguay. And they don't care. They will not tax you one penny. So there you go. Now you'd still pay taxes from where if you're an American, you got to deal with that. I could, we could address that if you want. So you got to, that doesn't mean you pay zero tax necessarily, but almost zero. So that covers, and Paraguay is beautiful. Malaysia is beautiful. Um, there's several South American countries that are territorial tax, not Colombia. Or you could do, depending on your age and your lifestyle, you could do two. So a lot of guys love Colombia because Colombia minus the tax law is almost perfect. It's a growing country. Women are fantastic, beautiful country. There's, there's, um, the taxes are zero if you stay there less than six months a year. So you can spend six months in Colombia and six months somewhere else and have two homes and rotate. Some guys like that. Some guys don't. It's kind of what I do. So that's another option. So that's where you'd get started. So a territorial tax country that doesn't have a lot of cities that is on the, that is growing. Here's the other thing too. The Western world is in a state of collapse. It's a slow state of collapse, but United States, Canada, and Europe, particularly Western Europe are collapsing right now, slowly. Unpack Outside the Western world. Just for, just for a yeah. second. We covered some aspects of that. They're collapsing economically, which yep. I assume that means they're just carrying too much debt and their phony baloney currency is becoming more and more worthless. That's that's the, one of the primary components, yes. But it get, I mean, it gets even worse. Like American corporations don't make money anymore. They don't want to. They want to make political statements. And so if you look at the typical American company on the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 as compared to 20 years ago, they just they don't make real money. The stock prices is because they borrow money to buy their own stocks to pump their stock prices up. Oh, wow. You have these, all these companies like Disney, Star Wars, Pixar making these movies that are very woke left, which is fine. But a lot of people in the United States aren't woke left and they lose hundreds of millions of dollars and they'll have tax. They'll have, I was just uh, listening to the Bob Iger Disney shareholder call where people said, you know, this is not a, this is not a political thing. Is it wise to make movies, hundreds of millions of dollars that push a strong political agenda that only some people agree with and you lose hundreds of millions of dollars instead of just being politically neutral like you used to be and making money, selling wonderful stories? And the CEO of Disney said, yeah, it's a great idea. I love it when we take political stances. the way it goes. And they just doubled down on these things. So you have that on top of that where companies don't like to make money anymore, big corporations anyway, on top of the currency, on top of the banks, on top of the debt, on top of the flat wages. Wages have been flat since 1972. If you adjust for inflation, I mean, on and the tax tax increase, people pay far more taxes now as a total percentage of their income than they ever have in all of Western history. And even when Trump or someone comes along and cuts it by a little bit, you are still paying mountains. If you look at what the typical family paid, actually paid in taxes in the 50s, because a lot of people say, well, the tax rates were higher than 50. Yeah, but no one paid them. There were so many loopholes and deductions. They're all gone. So all these factors. And we haven't even talked about cultural collapse. The quality of movies, the quality of TV shows, the quality of books, the quality of even video games. The ability of, the ability of sixth graders or, or high school students 
to do basic things like read yes basic mathematics yes it's horrific i'm shocked my kids are grown now but even in like you know the late 90s 2000s when when they were little they would come home and i would ask them questions like about world war ii they'd have no idea but they knew all about the rainforests oh we talked about the rainforest last three weeks now that's fine but you don't understand who did we fight in world war ii they had no idea when was the united states founded no clue but they know all about the importance of recycling. They know all about that. It's fine. I'm not against those things. I'm not a right winger either. But my God, no. so yes, and it's just gotten worse since then. Yeah. So no. uh, there's, there's so many reasons there's there. There's How would collapse. you do this? For example, one of the number one things, uh, and then um, I want to get back to the, to your business, mm-hmm. and then we'll wrap up. Sure. Well, the major reason I don't leave is I have family here. I'm in love with my family, madly in love with my family, my entire social circle. It took me five years of being in San Diego to build up my community and my social circle. And then I have cats. I can't keep moving around. (laughs) So I'm stuck pretty much unless it's Mexico. uh, I'm stuck. Am I not? No, you're not stuck in. Here's my opinion. This is just Caleb's opinion and you're free to disagree. The only people who I think are really, truly stuck are those people who say to me, hey, Caleb, I have small children, like five, six, seven, you're not grown kids like mine. Small kids, I'm divorced. I love my kids. I can't force my ex-wife or ex-husband to move to the other country with me. Right. So I would not be able to see my kids. Or I'd be able to see my kids a few months a year. I can't do that. Right. Then, okay, that's a valid argument. If, the, uh, if you're just saying, I, I have friends here, or I have family here, well, it, there's a number of factors. Now, if you have elderly family who you take care of, maybe that's a second one. I have elderly family who cannot move. Okay, that might be another valid excuse, I think. But outside of that, okay, can you move your family with you? How often no, can you go back to the United States and visit your family? You do Zoom Ill, calls with your family. I have a critically ill brother who maybe has a year to live, so I can't. Then, I would, then I'd give you that one. But then, okay, let's say he goes in a year or two or three. Then what? Could you move then? For example, I'm not saying you should. Yeah, I probably the thought. I yeah, probably yeah. I agree All with right. you. I would, I would stay a year. Yeah. I would swear however long. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, but not. But I don't know. I wouldn't stay forever. Not paying. You make good money. I, you know, and you're living in California. You know what kind of taxes you're paying. I don't need to tell you. Oh yeah. my God, you have no <laughs> idea. I don't want to even get into it. Oh, I, I, just, I I'm, hor- I'm horrified. I used to live in in Oregon, then I moved to Washington a little better. But you don't want to go was, there. You don't want to go there. Like crime is so out of control. Criminals are not afraid of even being arrested. I know. I wouldn't be there if I was a criminal in California. There California is a, is a failed society. There's actually a proposition in one of those states, in one of the cities, where they would set up kiosks for people who were breaking into stores to help them meet their social needs with the idea that they wouldn't break into stores if their social needs were met, like helping them get jobs. And it was not, I'm not joking. This, this was put up for a vote. I don't understand other than now you have an excuse. You have a, a, a an ill brother, but beyond that people who want to permanently stay in California, I don't understand what they'll say is, but the weather, there's beautiful weather all over the world. Are you kidding? Guadalajara is beautiful. There's all kinds of places all over the world that have beautiful, sunny weather and are not humid. All right. <laughs> not very many, but there's a lot more other than just California to get, you know, completely, you know, what do you pay? See, you know, 67, the typical average American, I've done the analysis of my blogs. Typical average American, the average American pays between 51 and 70% of his total income on taxes in taxes he sees and taxes he doesn't see. 
Now, if you live in California, it's beyond that. It's even higher numbers. But, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. You understand. What, what, are, we, what are you paying for? I've had friends who told me, um, who actually moved to, to Scandinavia. Hey, you I know, love they Scandinavia. Get Hold on. Scandinavia uh -huh. and my personal life has been very good to me. We'll talk about oh, it. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that at all. No, I agree. No, yes. Um, but they will make these points and they they're it's a kind of a valid point. They say, you know what, Scandinavia and other Western European countries are heavily socialist. Also, they have high taxes, also, but at least you get something. Yes. You get unemployment, you get this free healthcare. It's not great health, but it's free. You get all in the United States, you get raked for taxes and you don't get anything. You have to I'm pay gonna for say on top of that. I'm gonna say something and then we're gonna let you go because we're really descending into politics. I'm gonna say one last thing. I'm gonna let you go. The third rail in American politics that will never be touched is not Social Security. It's not this, that, social. It's one thing. America cannot be both, cannot afford to both be a worldwide military empire and take care of its own people. It's one right. or the other. And I no know. one will say that. I've never heard it said publicly. I've never heard any candidate say it publicly, but that's the actual truth. If you were to rip the scales off your eyes, that's the truth. Agree. And both right. sides are for both those things. That's the problem. I, I understand. Uh, All right. You know, hey, Caleb, this has been amazing. And if you've been offended by this, great. Uh, we love to have people uh, being offended and having your eyes open are often part of the same process. So, Thank you for opening eyes. I like to do it too. I know there's going to be many people who want to stay in the conversation with you, both in terms of learning to have the level of success that you do and also what you provide as a service. So how can people stay in the conversation with you, my friend? So if you go to freebizcourse.com and just register, it's free. We will give you a B -I -Z? free B-I-Z, thank you. Freebizcourse.com. We will give you a free video business course. It's nine videos with no sales or pitches that show you how to create your own location independent income starting from zero. Literally, I did an entire course. It's free. If you want to do that, you can. If you want information on me, it's calebjones.com, C A L E B J O N E S. But if you want the free business course, freebizcourse.com. Actually, if you look up Caleb Jones, you'll get pages and pages about a hockey player. So that's right. If you Google me, I'm a hockey player. Yes. <laughs> and then I'm an actor who is in one of the X-Men movies. I know that too. <laughs> that is correct. Yes. All but right. I have CalebJones.com. I've had people offer to buy that from me and I, I've said no so far. So CalebJones.com right. is mine. All right. Stay on the line after we go off the air because I, I love talking to you. This has been the Influencer's Edge. If you've been offended by this episode, Look at the rest of what I said, which is oh, take it as an opportunity to open your eyes. Caleb, thanks for being on the Influencer's Edge. We look forward to seeing you if you're still going to watch and listen, which I know you will, on the next episode. See you soon, folks. Okay, Tracy, we are out. Tracy's my wonderful producer. She does a great job. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411321. That's COMPEL to 411321. 
And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPELLED to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack of sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on the Influencer's Edge Show.